Well, this morning, we want to tackle a fairly large passage of Scripture, approximately two chapters in the book of Acts, but we are going to go through it fairly quickly. Today, we want to try to take a bird's-eye view of the first official recorded missions trip in the Bible. Uh, you'll recall from a couple of weeks ago that the church in Antioch uh, was told by the Holy Spirit to appoint two men, uh, Barnabas and Saul, for the special work that God had called them to. Now, at this point, we weren't told exactly what that special work would be. But as we read on, we'll see that it would include traveling over 1,400 miles to visit dozens of towns and cities, preaching the gospel, and planting churches all along the way. And of course, this would be no small task. And so to help them with that, they brought along John Mark, who was a cousin of Barnabas and would eventually become the author of the book of Mark. Uh, this first missionary journey is recorded for us in Acts chapter 13 and 14, and as I said, that's a, that's a lot of scripture to cover in one sermon, uh, so we are going to go through it fairly quickly. We're not going to be looking at, at each verse in detail, but rather we just want to zoom out and try to see the big picture. You know, what are the, what are the themes, what are the, the principles that we can learn about, about life and ministry uh, as we look at this first missionary effort? So naturally, there are going to be a lot of good bits that we just won't get a chance to talk about today, but that's all right. That just leaves you guys plenty of good things to discover on your own study uh, as you go through this perhaps later this week. Uh, so on that note, let's pause here and pray and ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, again, we thank you that we can gather in this place uh, as brothers and sisters, uh, as your children, uh, that we can come and learn from you. Uh, we thank you that your word is alive and powerful, and it speaks to us today, so I pray that we would be attentive to hear those things that you are saying uh, through your Holy Spirit as we read your scriptures today. Uh, give us clarity of thought and understanding. Help us to know what you're trying to say without me muddling it up too much, uh, but I pray that you would speak through me and that we would all be attentive to those things that you have to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we have already looked at a few passages in Acts 13. Uh, two weeks ago, we went through the first five verses as we looked at uh, Barnabas and Saul's commissioning as missionaries. Uh, and then last week, uh, Mike took us through kind of a, a big chunk in the middle of chapter 13, which is uh, Paul's sermon somewhere along the way there. Um, and so I'm not going to recap all those verses. Uh, but there are kind of like four main stories in these two chapters that kind of summarize this uh, missionary journey. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. The first story takes place uh, in, a, in a town called Paphos. And so we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 13, probably start at verse 4, uh, as Barnabas and Saul first leave Antioch. So it reads like this. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Barjesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? 
Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. And we'll stop here. Now, this little story could warrant an entire sermon's worth of, of uh, observations and application, but for the sake of time, let me just make two quick notes before we go on to the next story. First of all, notice that it did not take very long at all for Barnabas and Saul to face opposition as they faithfully proclaimed the word of God. Verse 8 says, But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. You know, if there's one thing that we can count on in this world, it's opposition to the Word of God. Uh, and perhaps you've experienced that yourself. Uh, we're certainly going to see that as we read throughout the, the rest of the book of Acts. And in fact, we can see that as we go through the entire story of the Bible, right? Right from the, the beginning uh, of time. You remember that was the, the strategy of the devil right back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the serpent says to Eve, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Right? Satan's number one strategy is to keep people from believing the Word of God. Well, why? Because God's Word is truth, and Satan is the father of lies. Right? If he can keep people from believing the Word of God, then he can keep people captive to sin. And that's why Jesus said in John 8.32, he says, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? The truth of God's Word brings freedom. It brings insight and understanding and wisdom. It, it brings life. And this is exactly why Barnabas and Saul centered their ministry around preaching the Word of God, because that's where the power is. They didn't center their ministry around, you know, meeting the needs of the community, although they certainly did some of that a little later on. They didn't center their ministry around, you know, flashy programs that would attract a large crowd. They didn't center their ministry around doing miracles or casting out demons, although, again, we see them doing that uh, every once in a while as well. But all of those things were all secondary to their primary calling, and that was to preach the Word of God. Their ministry centered around preaching the Word of God. Notice in verse 5, it says, They went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the Word of God. Verse 6 tells us, The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the Word of God. Uh, and even in verse 12, after Elimaeus was struck blind, you know, it wasn't the miracle that convinced the governor to believe. It was the Word of God. It says, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Word of God, or the teaching about the Word of God, or about the Lord. <laughs> Reading all my different parts. Uh, but when the, it doesn't say that he was astonished at what happened to Elimaeus, but rather he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. And so we've got three things that are kind of happening in this passage. We see uh, Barnabas and Saul are preaching the Word of God. Number two, their, stir, their preaching stirs up opposition. And then number three, despite the opposition, the Word of God changes people's lives. Now, of course, there's, there's lots more that can be said about this passage, but for the sake of time today, uh, we are going to move on. But keep those three points in mind as we go on. So let's continue in verse 13 now. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. 
Now, there's two really quick notes here that are not really related to our topic today, uh, but I do want to point them out just for uh, future reference. Uh, first of all, you'll notice that this was the point where John Mark now decides to go back to Jerusalem. And we aren't given any reason specifically why he decided to do that at this point, uh, but we are going to see later that it wasn't really a, a positive parting. Uh, uh, Acts 15 will tell us that uh, John Mark abandoned them or deserted them. And this is going to be an issue that will come up later, so just keep that in your mind for now. Uh, the second thing to notice is that Saul is now going by his Roman name, which is Paul. And it seems that he's kind of taken the lead in this missionary effort. Up until this point, they've always been referred to as Barnabas and Saul. I don't know if you've noticed that at all. But now, from this point on, we're going to see Paul and his companions, or Paul and Barnabas. Paul has become the, the lead character in this team, and his leadership is going to become more and more evident as we go along. But of course, those are just kind of little side notes uh, that'll probably come up again in the future. So just kind of log those away uh, in your mind for now. But now, Barnabas and Saul have arrived in Antioch of Pisidia, and as you might expect, there they preach the word of God. No surprise. Uh, the next 25 verses are kind of a summary of what Paul preached to those folks, and Mike kind of led us through those verses last week, so I'm not going to reread them again for you this morning. So instead, we're going to jump down, and we'll pick it up at the end of Paul's sermon in verse 42. It says, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of God, or the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Barnabas and Paul spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now, do you remember the three things that happened in our last story? Paul and Barnabas were preaching the word of God. Their preaching stirred up opposition. But despite the opposition, the word of God changed people's lives. And this is the exact same pattern that we see happening here. Except in this story, it seems that everything's, everything seems to be a little bit amplified, I think. You know, there appears to be more preaching, right? They're preaching both to the Jews and the Gentiles. And it says uh, almost the entire city came out to hear them preach. Uh, we see more opposition as the, the Jewish leaders slander and argue against Paul, eventually inciting a mob to, to run them out of town. Uh, and yet... There's more impact for the kingdom of God as many Gentiles accept the word of God and become believers. They're, they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And it's the exact same pattern that we saw in our first story. But let's not stop here. Let's see what happens in the next little passage. Uh, so continuing, actually flipping over to, to chapter 14 now, uh, continuing at verse 1. It says, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogues and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. 
Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinions about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Leonia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. And so, as you've probably guessed, the pattern continues. Paul and Barnabas are preaching the word of God. They're, they're preaching stirs up opposition. Yet despite the opposition, the word of God changes lives. Uh, and again, everything seems to be amplified all the more. Uh, verse 1 tells us that great numbers of Jews and Greeks became believers. Verse 3 tells us that, that they preached the word of God for a long time. And again, the opposition was so great that an angry mob decided they were going to stone them. And so again, they fled the town and they continued preaching the good news. And that leads us now to the final of these four stories in this missionary journey. Uh, we read now in verse 8. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mere, merely human beings, just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all nations to go their own way, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Again, lots of stuff that we could say about this, but notice the pattern once again. Paul and Barnabas are preaching the word of God. Their preaching stirs up opposition, but despite the opposition, the word of God changes people's lives. And that brings us now to the, to the final con conclusion of this chapter and the conclusion of Paul and Barnabas' uh, first missionary journey. Verse 21 says, After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word of God in Perga and went down to Italia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. 
Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. So, what is the lesson in these chapters for us? Now, not many of us are, are traveling missionaries that you know, go around to, to different countries, different cities and towns, uh, so we can preach to crowds of people. So what's the lesson for the rest of us to take and, and apply to our lives? Well, I do think that that three-point uh, three pattern that we've recognized can serve as a template. Number one, we need to preach the Word of God. Now, I know I just said that we are not traveling missionaries, but in a way... We are. Uh, not that we, we travel to different cities or countries or anything like that, but all of us continually have opportunities to share the Word of God wherever we are, to tell people about the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ, kind of like what we just talked about with the kids there, all those little seeds that we can just scatter everywhere as we go along. And we mentioned this morning in the child dedication that, that as parents, we have the, the, the amazing responsibility and privilege of raising our kids. We must teach them about the Word of God, uh, because as we've seen in these two chapters, it's the Word of God that changes people's lives. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Uh, and then 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All right, there's incredible power in the word of God. And because of that, we must keep the, the word of God uh, at the center of all of our church ministries, at the center of our homes, uh, at the center of our own personal walk with the Lord, right? God's word is truth, right? It's reality. It is alive and powerful, and it's what God uses to change people's lives. So let's make sure that we keep on preaching the Word of God, not only to ourselves, but to the people around us. The second lesson that we can take away from all of this is that opposition and hardships are an expected part of the Christian life. You know, I kind of found it interesting that, that after Paul and Barnabas had made all those disciples in all those different places, uh, on the way home, they stopped in everywhere they had been uh, to those same places to encourage the believers. And it says in verse 22, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas fully expected those new believers to suffer through hardships. All right, hardships are just an expected part of the Christian life. It's part of the process through which we enter the kingdom of God, right? It's not even optional. Paul says we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I think you guys know that the Christian life is not an easy one to live. In fact, Jesus even said so. He said, uh, John 16, 33, he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, it's, it's a guarantee here on earth, we will face many sorrows and trials. And I think all of us can probably testify to that. Uh, we've been through a lot of stuff. I know many of us are going through some pretty, pretty hard struggles and trials and sorrows even right now. Uh, and so I would just encourage you, as, as Paul did, to continue in the faith. Keep looking to Jesus, even in the midst of your trials, because he has overcome the world. He's already won the victory. You know, the, the trials and the sorrows that we must endure right now, you know, they're only for a short time. I know it feels like they go on forever, 
but they're only for a short time. We have an eternity of peace and joy and goodness in the presence of God to look forward to. And he will keep us and sustain us until that time. And that leads us then into the final takeaway point for today, and that is this. We can trust God to carry out his goodwill. You know, despite all the, the opposition and the hardships that Paul and Barnabas faced, they chose to trust God, and, and through it, God did some amazing things. You know, even, even as Paul and Barnabas had to leave behind all those new churches that they planted, and I imagine that would have been a hard thing for them to do, right? They had to appoint elders, and it says in verse, uh, verse 14, it says, uh, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now, I thought that was really good. They, they just... They just turned them over to, to the care of the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. And I guess that's, that's the final exhortation that I'll give you for today. I would encourage all of you to turn everything over to the care of the Lord in whom you can put your trust. You know, the, the opposition that you're facing right now, you can turn that over to the Lord. The, the trials that you're going through as we speak, you can turn that over to the Lord. The, the relationships in your life that are or maybe strained or falling apart, you can turn those over to the care of the Lord. You know, Christ has promised that we will face trials and sorrows of many kinds, but we can turn those over to him, and we can trust that he will take care of it all because he's already won the victory. He's overcome the world. And so I encourage you this morning just to trust in him, to find your strength and your joy and your peace in him. Turn everything over to the care of the Lord in whom you can confidently place your trust. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for this encouragement. Thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas. And we can't even imagine the things they went through. And that's just the beginning. There's still a couple more missionary journeys to go through. But these men, they, they trusted you, God. They faithfully endured all kinds of trials and sorrows. But they trusted that your goodwill would be done through it all. And I pray that we would be, be like them in that way. Uh, God, there's a lot of stuff that we're going through right now, and you know, we probably can each come up with our, our list of 10 to 20 things that, that we're suffering through right now. But God, you know about all those things, and you care so deeply for us, and you're just waiting for us to, to cast those cares upon you, because we know that you care for us. So God, I pray that today as we go from this place, uh, we would go out not defeated or, or feeling the heavy weight of those sorrows on our shoulders, but that we would feel free, knowing that the truth sets us free, that there's a God in heaven who loves us more than we can even imagine. And he's already seen how everything ends. And he's won the victory. He's guaranteed us a, a future hope, a life free uh, of pain and suffering, uh, filled with goodness and joy and peace. And God, we can have a taste of that now as we put our faith and trust in you. And so, God, I pray that everyone here uh, would come to that conclusion in their own mind, that they would know the truth, and the truth would set them free, and they would look to you, and, and they'd be able to cast their cares upon you, knowing that you care for them. God, we thank you again for all these encouragements and these reminders. Uh, remind us again in another day or two, because we're bound to forget these things. Remind us as we go through this week uh, of your great love for each one of us. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.